Welcome to Sisterhood, everyone. We are so delighted to gather in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Yes, yes. Um, This is our fourth lesson in the Original Women series. I'm going to teach you today about everyday faithfulness. And of course, all throughout Scripture, we read of God's faithful love. We read about how He faithfully fulfills His promises to His children. Indeed, our Heavenly Father is faithful. And like any good dad, he wants us to be just like him. He wants us to exhibit faithfulness. And that fruit of the Holy Spirit is alive in us as he's given us his Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk today about practicing his um, presence and practicing the fruit of Holy Spirit living in everyday faithfulness. Wonderful thing happens as a result. In Proverbs 28, 20, we see a faithful man will abound with blessings, and a faithful person will be richly blessed. Does that sound good to anyone today? Hmm? To abound with blessings and be richly blessed. The prerequisite to that is for us to exhibit faithfulness. Faithful in the Hebrew is emunah, and it speaks of firmness, stability, fidelity, steadiness, certainty. It refers to that which is permanent and enduring and steadfast. Now, sometimes when we hear the word faithful, we're apt to think right away of someone like a pastor or a teacher, people that are visibly in front of others doing ministry, right? We see, oh, that person is faithful. And while that's true, I want to emphasize this today. Pastors and teachers, those who are visible and faithful, guess what? They're upheld by many, many others who are doing what is invisible. And the things that are unseen by men and women are very much seen by God, amen? The truth is a person's faithfulness is mostly demonstrated behind the scenes. Say behind the scenes. It's the truth. So today in this lesson, we're gonna study three biblical examples of those who walked in behind the scenes faithfulness. And we're also going to then explore practical applications of how you and I can exercise everyday faithfulness in our own lives. So to begin, we're gonna look at a woman named Priscilla. Now Priscilla did the work of the ministry by being hospitable and by meeting the needs of the saints, um, the people of God. She was very generous and in fact supported Paul in his ministry. As you know, Paul was an apostle. He traveled a ton, he started a lot of churches, he discipled many, many people. But what you might not know is that while he was doing that ministry, he was also making tents. This guy had a job. He had to finance those things that he was doing because it was improper for a rabbi to be paid for his teaching. So in Acts 18, we read that Paul went to Corinth and he met a man named Aquila who was married to Priscilla. Isn't that fun? Their names rhyme. (laughs) And in Acts 18.3, we see that because, it says here, because he, Paul, was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation, they were tent makers. So we could think today that really these people were in business together. And Priscilla opened her home, she was hospitable, provided Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, with a place to stay, fed him meals, kept him safe, gave him a job, a means to earn a paycheck. Priscilla exercised brotherly love, that is Philadelphia, which is the love that exists between one Christian and another. In Romans 12, 10, and 13, we read, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, <clears throat> excuse me, giving preference to one another, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Ladies, when you invite your child's teacher in for dinner, or when you encourage the neighbors in wholesome conversation over a cup of coffee, 
on the patio or in your living room. You are actually engaged in effective behind-the-scenes ministry. When you provide the missionary with a financial gift month after month, and you are faithfully contributing to what God is doing in and through that person and his or her family, guess what? You are meeting the needs of the saints. And this is so pleasing to God. It may not be real public, but it is effective ministry. Another example of everyday faithfulness from the word is found in a woman named Dorcas. Dorcas <clears throat> did the work of the ministry by doing kind deeds. She was a prayer. She helped the poor and especially ministered to widows. In Acts 9.36, we read, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. The Amplified there says that she was rich in acts of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And yet another translation says she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. I get to reading these different translations and think what a marvelous reputation she had. Ah, oh, for people to be able to say that about me. Or you. She was always doing kind things, was always extending herself to those in need. Well, in Acts 9.37, we read that Dorcas got very sick and she died. Look what happened in verse 39. Peter arose and went with them. There were people that went to get Peter to bring him on the scene. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room and all the widows stood by him weeping. The widows stood by Peter and wept, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with him. Sorry, while she was with them. And I think about, again, paint a picture, pause every once in a while as you're reading the word. The community gathered, these widows gathered, to stand beside this woman who had made their garments, and they wept, holding the fruit of her labor. I think about her selfless, hidden ministry of being a seamstress for women in need. Her death brought about sadness. Why? Because what she did was so appreciated and so important. When we make it our aim to care for people that are hurting or distressed in any way, we reflect the very heart of God. Did you know that in James 1.27, the Bible talks about pure religion being caring for the orphans and for the widows, those who have experienced loss. When you serve at a homeless shelter, when you feed the hungry, when you just sit with someone who's lonesome, <laughs> wow. This is a really blessed form of ministry. Don't overlook this. Please don't overlook it. Our third example of behind-the-scenes faithfulness is coming from Lois and Eunice, who passed their faith to little Timothy. I call him little. I don't know if he was little. <laughs> hmm. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 5, I remember your genuine faith, Timothy, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know the same faith continues strong in you. Think about that. Timothy had faith because his grandmother and his mother were faithful to live and model and share that faith with him. I imagine that when they needed finances or when they encountered trouble, they, they exemplified Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Timothy watched these women trust in the Lord and lean not on what they understood, but acknowledge him and let him direct their path. I have a hunch that when he posed questions, they directed him back to God's truth. They directed him back to Jesus. In Acts 16, we read of Eunice. She's referred to as the Jewish woman who believed 
She was Jewish, but she came to faith in Christ, the Messiah. Wow. She must not have been ashamed of the gospel. She must have lived her faith out loud. And as a result, Timothy's life was impacted. He became a strong leader in the church. He followed after Paul in mentoring and discipling other Christians. The far-reaching impact and implications of these behind-the-scenes faithful acts of Timothy's mom and grandma just can't be measured. And did you know that we have a really great example of the same thing here at our church at River Valley, certainly amongst you and at these tables, But also, I want you to understand that this wonderful ministry we call Sisterhood, it didn't just fall from the sky. It was birthed in the heart of our pastor, Becca Ketterling. And guess what? Her faith was imparted to her by her mother, Betty Larson. She grew up watching her mom be faithfully true to her husband, loving him even in unlovable moments. Betty was faithful to work a full-time job, to attend every event that her kids were a part of. But most importantly, Pastor Becca's mother exemplified a faith and a devotion to Jesus. She served regularly at her church. Becca watched her mom put others' needs ahead of her own and spend time daily in the Word and in prayer with the Lord. Please, again, I keep saying this, you can't overlook this. We just can't. Pastor Becca is in large part who she is today because she had a mom who was willing and faithful to pursue the Lord. Similarly, your daily choice to spend time with Jesus, to pray to the Lord, to rely upon God in front of your kids, guess what? It is impacting them. It is touching them and shaping them. And not only them, but their friends and their teachers. It's impacting your neighbors. It's impacting your colleagues, whether you see it or not. It is happening. So good. So, so good to think about the far-reaching effects of behind-the-scenes faithfulness. And for the next several moments, I want to focus now and kind of redirect or or attend to what it is to answer this question. How can you and I exemplify and grow in everyday behind-the-scenes faithfulness? Let's just bring it home and make it real. I want to share with you three principles of being faithful. And I've prayed about this, and I'm praying that you're challenged today. I'm praying that you are challenged and provoked on the inside by the Spirit of God. to to walk in these three principles. The first one is that in order to be faithful, you must first be willing. In order to be faithful, you must first be willing. Of course we know that while he walked on this earth, Jesus was faithful, amen? But let's open our eyes today to see that his faithfulness was never exhibited apart from his willingness. Willingness and faithfulness go hand in hand. In Matthew 8, 1 through 3, it says, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You see, the The precursor to Jesus faithfully healing the leper was that he was willing to heal the leper. People were cautioned, don't touch the lepers. They were deemed unclean. Leprosy was highly contagious, and yet Jesus was willing. Jesus faithfully spoke the truth because he was willing to be mocked and belittled for doing so. He faithfully ministered to the woman at the well because he was willing to go out of his way and travel through Samaria. 
He was faithful to make time for and meet the needs of countless people because Jesus was willing to be interrupted from having time alone. You can hear his willingness in these words. Matthew 20, 28, he says about himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He was willing to do whatever the Father asked of him. John 6, 38, he says this, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, not to do my own will, not to do my own will, not to do what I want, but the will of him who sent me. Let's be honest. Can we just be honest? Can we be honest? We love being honest, sort of, don't we? <laughs> we can really easily allow our ideas hmm, of what matters to override the very will of God for our lives. I've often wondered how many times the Lord has set me up to faithfully serve him and others. But because the situation didn't quite seem important enough, or because it wasn't in line with what I had envisioned, or because, frankly, I just thought I was too busy, I let an opportunity pass right by. It's sobering, actually. We love Jesus, don't we? We love him. We pray, Lord, I want to be like you. Jesus, make me more like you. John the Baptist said, I must decrease. Lord, you must increase. My heart has turned that way so often. But I've come to realize that what that requires is a desire and, a, and, a, and an obligation and a, and a willingness to just be selfless. Willingness requires selflessness. I haven't come across a verse in the Bible where Jesus says, God, what about me? I don't really want to. We've got to get real and ask ourselves a few questions. Are we willing to touch those that we're cautioned not to touch? Are we willing to go against the grain of today's society and political correctness and all that stuff to share our convictions? We've got strong and firm convictions. Are we willing to share them, knowing that it's very likely we'll be mocked for doing so? Are we willing to go out of our way and disrupt our precious plan, our schedule, in order to minister to those who are hurting? Are we truly willing to do what God, our Heavenly Father, asks of us? If so, then guess what? We are on our way to faithfulness. But if not, then we have to entrust our hearts to God and pray that he changes us. And of course we know this is a process. Say, this is a process. <laughs> and we give ourselves grace because God gives ourselves us grace and we avail our hearts to him and we trust him to shape us and refine us and teach us so that we can be more and more like Jesus. In Philippians 2.13, it says, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Look at that. It is God who works in you to align your will with his He's changing and touching your will if you avail your heart to him fully, if you submit and surrender. I'd like to share with you a time when the Lord aligned my will with his. <clears throat> many years ago, go back with me, many years, we were at a previous church, and I was asked to teach a Bible study about the foundations of Christianity. 
And it was my privilege to be asked in this season, my son Samuel, our second child, was born. He was just a baby in a bucket as our car seat. I called it the bucket. <laughs> I had another boy, Noah, who was about three, three, three years old at that time. And so I was managing the intricacies of being a young mom of two little ones, had my hands really into lots of church stuff, and now had agreed to write and teach this extra Bible study. I spent many, many hours studying and preparing. I can still imagine my dining room table and how it was a sea of papers and open Bibles and references and Sam in the bucket and Noah with the dinosaurs on the floor. And as I would rock Samuel in the bucket with one hand and write with the other, the flaming darts would come and tell me, you are some lousy mother. You're not even holding that baby that you longed for and pined after. You're just putting him in a bucket. And yet I believed with all my heart that it was the will of God for me to do this and that his grace was enough. And I would entrust by faith, Lord, you hold Samuel. You envelop him with your loving arms as I'm doing your will. Hmm? Was I a bad mom? I didn't think I was a bad mom, but the enemy was telling me I was a, I was a bad mom. I started to dream of all the people that were going to be blessed by the Bible study. You know, certainly that would make it worth it, all this time and what I felt was a sacrifice. And all of the people that were going to be set free and all the people that were going to understand some things about Christianity. And I just knew that God would not ask me to write his lesson instead of rock my baby unless he had good reason so the first night drew near, actually it was the time of the first night of the study and I'd anticipated this large crowd. We were meeting at an elementary school, renting that space in the library and so I shoved together a bunch of tables and I was thinking about all the chairs being filled and the time came and I got to the door to welcome all of my students and in walked Dave. And I looked out in the hall to find all the other people that were coming and there was no one. It was just Dave. It was me and Dave. And driving home that night and for the next several weeks, I'll tell you, I talked to the Lord about this. <laughs> I couldn't help but wonder if maybe all the time that I spent in that rocking was not time well spent. Because in my head, it made sense that the sacrifice of me not holding and loving on my son would be warranted if there were a lot of people. A lot of people, like even seven would have been a lot of people. <laughs> Ten people, 15, 15 people. That's how many chairs I set out. But God brought Dave, <laughs> he brought Dave. And I had to refuse, as the weeks went on, I had to refuse the thought, you know what, it's just Dave. Just put it together, you don't have to give the best lesson you've got. Just put something together. Hmm. Nope, because what he taught me was that in God's economy, guess what, one is more than enough. And so my heart was shifted, and he, and he tilted me towards willingness. And I decided I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to prepare for the one as if it was Jesus himself. Listen, he gave me his best. Who am I to not give my best back? And you know, at River Valley Church all year, we've heard Pastor Rob talk about stepping into the yes. Praise the Lord for a pastor who pushes his sheep, right? We are thrilled for these messages, but I just want to let you in on something. Stepping into the yes requires stepping over your want to or your will. A lot of times, it steps over what makes sense to you, or what you think will be the fruition of your obedience. When God directs us to do something, we're wise not to ask ourselves if we want to. We need to learn to simply yield and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Trust that he has good reason for what he asks of us. I thought the good reason was going to be 10, 15, 7 people. But the good reason had nothing to do with the number of people. It had everything to do with my willingness. You understand? You understand? 
In those same days of the Bible study, Keith also had his hands and stuff, and we were doing a whole bunch of stuff at the church, and it was such a blessing. Week after week, I was writing kids' church lessons, preparing the crafts for the children, hauling carpet squares every Sunday to the gymnasium at the elementary school. I was hauling a playpen, I was hauling puppets, and the boombox, and you name it, I was hauling it. Week after week, Keith would haul the drums. We had six big, huge rubber-made bins of electric drum kit, and he stored them in the basement, but every single weekend, hauled them up from the basement to put them in the Jeep, to drive them to the school, to set them up. He'd sweat through outfit number one, change his clothes, drum during worship, join me in the gym on the floor with the kids. All the while, we got our own diaper bag and our sippy cups and our, you name it, in there for our three children who were three and a half and one and a half and six months. And I'll tell you what, it was seldom we got to talk with another adult who came to service just to go to church. It was seldom we got to see a facial expression say, thank you for what you're doing, week after week after week after week. We didn't get paid. We rarely were acknowledged. And one day, in the midst of a really, really, really uh, rich pity party, <laughs> Keith was hauling a bin down the stairs saying, God, this is so hard. Every week it's so hard in the winter, in the summer, in the spring, in the fall. It's so hard. I'm sweating through all my clothes. It's so hard. Up and down the stairs, back and forth to this school. So hard and lovingly and tenderly, the Holy Spirit said to him, have you died on a cross? And that heart that was tilted toward an unwillingness was shifted right back and Keith shared with me what the Lord said to him and we prayed and we come to recognize that, you know what, our willingness to do what God asked was not and could not be ever dependent upon a man's approval or a man's gratitude or appreciation, but rather willingness is based on love for the king. And sometimes the Lord sets us up on purpose, say on purpose, so that you and I can demonstrate a heart that's willing. Sometimes that's what he's got in mind. Sometimes that's his good reason for asking us to do what he asks us to do. He gives us these opportunities that we should embrace and say yes and learn how to be faithful. Remember, a faithful man abounds in blessings. And I concur with Isaiah when he wrote in 119, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. It's the truth. It is the truth. Hallelujah. The second point is that faithfulness starts now and not later. Faithfulness starts when? Now and not later. <clears throat> I'm going to just be really, I, I'm just putting it, all the fluffy stuff aside to tell you. <laughs> it is wrong thinking for you to believe that you're going to start being faithful as soon as you have more money or as soon as you have a bigger title or a bigger platform or more important things to do. This mindset, if you've held that mindset, it's contrary to what Jesus says in Luke 16.10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. God is looking to see, what are you doing with what I've given you so far? Are you faithful with these little things? Are you faithful with hauling the boombox and the carpet squares? Are you faithful? Are you faithful? He wants us to be found faithful in the little things because he has so much more to entrust us with. We can just decide, it's easy. I just think about flipping a light switch. We just decide, we're gonna just flip the switch and decide today to willingly tidy up the restroom at the church. Wash off the basin, what's all wet and soapy. Whether you're here at Target or Sparkle Conference, why would I do that? Because it's honoring the next person. 
It's preferring someone else, willingly decide to treat the people that you're with as if they're royalty. Why? Because they're made by the king. And because maybe he's got you in relationship with them so that you can teach them his love for them. Decide willingly to pack your own jump, ju sorry, to pack up your own Jeep and to haul whatever he's asking you to haul to whomever he's asking you to haul it so that they might just have a touch of the presence of God in their lives. Decide right now to willingly, while you're making less money than you think you deserve, to give the tithe so that when your paycheck does grow, you can build the kingdom on a far bigger level. Ladies, let's decide right now to willingly be faithful, to fold our kids' laundry, happily, cheerfully, praying over each item, knowing that when they put it on, they sense a touch from heaven. Drive the kids to school, willingly, cheerfully, knowing that you have a privilege of speaking truth to them, telling them that they're loved and blessed. You know, one of the greatest gifts that God has ever or will ever give to his children is that of time. It is irreplaceable. And the longer I'm on the planet, the more I recognize the gift of time. Because once we need to learn to steward it well, because once it's gone, there is no retrieving it. I'm not talking, when we, if we were to talk about using our time well, I'm not talking about fitting more in, hear me. I'm not talking about doing more stuff. I'm talking about doing better stuff. Did you know that God condemns idleness? Think about what your car does when it idles, right? It's, it's running, but it's not going anywhere. It's just burning fuel. In Proverbs, it says, idleness brings about hunger. It says that a virtuous woman does not eat the bread of idleness. As virtuous women of the Most High, let's resolve today to not waste the time that God has given to us. Time spent comparing yourself to other women on social media is idle time. And I contend, actually, that not only are you just sitting still going nowhere, but you're actually rolling a little backwards as you spend your time that way. But time spent, got, um, time spent reading the Word of God or meditating on an encouraging word, that's time well spent. What about time spent gossiping on the phone? Gossiping on the phone, talking about someone else's business. Guess what? That's idle time. You're going nowhere. It's not profiting you or anyone else, but time spent praying on the phone, now that's a whole nother story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I watched a movie a long while ago, and I referenced it in previous teachings, but I think it warrants repeating. A woman asks a friend of her a question, and I lovingly ask it of you today. Ladies, what you gonna do with your one and only October 3rd, 2018? Faithfulness starts when? Now. Let's start now. The third principle of living in everyday faithfulness is that you will grow in faithfulness when you do everything with Jesus in mind. Mm. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
You think back to Dorcas and Lois and Eunice, these women that we studied. I'm pretty confident that they had Jesus in mind as they did what they did. As Dorcas made those tunics and garments for the widows, she was doing it as unto the Lord. Look again at those verses. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever, whatever. It's an all-inclusive word. Nothing, nothing is excluded from whatever, whatever you do. Consider the million things you do in the course of a day. Just think about what you do in the course of a day. And imagine doing them as if you truly were doing them for him. How would you prepare a meal and clean up your kitchen if you had Jesus at the table? Set him a place tonight. How would you wash and fold that laundry if your basket included his clothing? Imagine the cashier was Jesus. Would you speak to her differently? Here's one. How would you dress if you planned to spend the day with Jesus first at the health club and then out for dinner? And if it was Jesus asking you to sit at the edge of his bed and tell a story after a long, hard day, even though you were exhausted, would you do it? Whatever you do, whatever, everyday things you do, do them as unto the Lord. Ladies, he is with us. He is ever-present. He promises to never leave us, never forsake us. This means that as he is with us all day, he already accompanies us in our everyday things. Hmm? So keep him in mind. How do we do that? In Psalm 77, 12, the psalmist writes, I will also meditate on all of your works and talk of your deeds. The word meditate is haggah. It means to reflect and to ponder and to quietly repeat while utterly abandoning outside distractions. And please don't say, I can't do that, Kristen, because I know that most of you can worry. And worry is similar. Only when we meditate, our, our mind is fixed on him. And it's disciplined to consider him, not some crazy imagination, what if, dumb situation. When you keep Jesus in mind, you consider his promises. You keep him in mind as you remember how he paid your bills last month and how he's put food on your table all along and how he healed you. You remember to look for his blessings. You keep him in mind and you thank him for the blessings, the big ones and the little ones and everything in between. You tell others about his goodness to you. Because here's the thing. Focusing on his faithfulness to you actually breeds a desire in your heart to exhibit faithfulness to him. Mm -hmm. And you'll find yourself not yearning for the bigger, the better, the more, and the world's offers, but rather you'll find yourself more obedient with anything that he puts in front of you, anything at all. And you'll become a woman of everyday faithfulness. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your heart for us. Help us, God, to see where we are unwilling. 
and trust you to shift whatever needs to be shifted in our hearts, God. Make us more like Jesus. Lord, forgive us for procrastinating. Father, help us to steward our time well and recognize that our faithfulness starts today. Lord, we invite you into our everyday, everything. Help us, Lord, to be more and more aware of your presence. Thank you for your examples of faithful women in the Bible and all around us today. We avail ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, have your way and teach us, God, to be faithful as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. It's all for your glory. And everybody said, amen.